0: Well, good morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the revelation of your grace and your word. Help us now to understand how you've committed to us that we might commit to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Full commitment. Full commitment, my coach said to me. That's what it's going to take. I'd always enjoyed playing squash and was attracted to the idea of competing professionally and traveling the world. But the reality was that the level of commitment required to be able to compete at that level caused me at times to question things. The perceptions I had of glamour were brutally dashed. Via three sessions a day, six days a week, a fairly strict diet. It all required a level of commitment I hadn't previously known. And there were times when I struggled to believe it was all worth it. Well, we're continuing on in our foundation series today in Luke's Gospel, and we're in chapter nine. It's a long reading, wasn't it? Thank you, Hilary. <laughs> And today we're considering the committed life. Now, because it's a long passage, we're going to be zooming in on this central section, as I see it, verses 18 to 27. But as we do, imagine how it must have felt to be one of Jesus' followers at this stage in his ministry here in Luke 9. To have seen him heal sickness and disease to have fed those who were hungry, to have shown his power over nature and even death itself. It would have been incredible awe inspiring. Imagine your understanding of the Old Testament messianic promises is deep within you, and you're full of hope for the fulfilment of those promises. Down the many generations, people have spoken of the one who would come, the Messiah. And then imagine that the the one promised in the scriptures down those many centuries is in fact the very person you've been following all this time. The person standing right in front of you. The Messiah. The Christ. God's promised King. How overwhelming that realisation must have been for Peter. And not only that, but for Peter to also have known that he was part of the inner circle of this Messiah as one of Jesus' disciples. Well, what thoughts might have gone through Peter's mind as he realised all that, as he confessed Christ? Finally, victory over those Romans. Freedom for Israel. Wealth, maybe. Power, fame, maybe recognition and status. And of course, there need not be any more worry about the threat of illness or mortality. No, because this great one I'm following, he's the Messiah. He's already shown his power over those things. So there need be no more concern for them. All those thoughts... Possibly racing through Peter's mind. And then, on a bigger scale, how could the world even try and stop the Messiah, this incredible person, the one who can control spiritual forces, the power of nature, and even life and death itself? How could it be anything but a wonderful thing, a great life choice, to just keep on following this person? What a leader! What a great king, the Messiah. What could possibly go wrong? Well, there's many films and books you might have seen or read where there's a great twist in the tale. What we expect to happen turns out to be quite the opposite. There's a great twist in the novel Great Expectations That book by Charles Dickens, where Pip discovers that he's been funded not by the wealthy Miss Havisham as his benefactor, but in fact the escaped convict who he was accosted by at the beginning as a youngster, Abel Magwitch. There's a twist in the tale. And when things can seem to be going in a certain direction and appear so obvious, often reality turns out to be far from what we expected. And the twist in our passage comes in verse 22. You see, we live in the 21st century, and so looking back, we know the whole picture of how things panned out in the gospel. And therefore, we can often forget just how shocking Jesus' words would have been at this moment. Just at the point that Peter finally realises Jesus' true identity as the Messiah, with all those thoughts rushing through his head, Jesus turns to him in verse 22 and speaks of his immediate future being one that will involve great suffering rejection and death it would have been confusing and difficult to hear but Jesus is clear his road to glory will be marked by suffering he is going to commit to that path a striking Path of commitment. You see, here we see Jesus, we see Peter finally recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And that confession by Peter is a turning point in Luke's gospel. But that revelation raises an even bigger question after the words Jesus speaks in verse 22. And that question is what sort of king is this? Who is this Messiah who commits to a road of suffering? The answer? Jesus is a king who commits to suffering in order to share his glory. And this is the first of our two points. Jesus commits as the suffering king. So striking. Of course, Jesus' words... In verse 22 here, they don't take away from any of the Messianic promises about him. All those Old Testament words of promise, such as are found in Isaiah, about the one who will reign forever and bring in a kingdom of endless peace with boundless authority. All that is still absolutely true. It's just that before all of that, before all that glory, Jesus is going to commit to walking the road to the cross. Suffering first, glory later. Now we see this principle of suffering on the road to glory quite often. We hear stories about people who've suffered for their art and persevered before they finally had a breakthrough. Certainly elite athletes have to suffer significantly as they commit to hard and often hidden hours of work in order to be able to compete for glory. Paul even refers to that principle in one of his letters. The athlete who competes for the prize. But the striking thing here with Jesus is he didn't even need to suffer first to win that glory. He already had all glory and power. He spent eternity in unfathomable glory and perfect relationship with his Father and the Spirit in the perfect Holy Trinity. Jesus didn't need to suffer for glory, but he chose to. He possessed perfect glory already. But despite that, he willingly humbled himself and became a man. He left that glory behind, even humbling himself to suffer death upon the cross. And Jesus speaks about that very clearly here in verse 22. He must undergo this great suffering. He must commit to being rejected and killed. But why? Why not just stay in the perfect glory that he'd known for all eternity? Think of, it, of it, our own lives, how if we have achieved all our goals, would we want to give them all up? No, it's, it's hard to understand. Why? And this is the heart of the glorious gospel. Because God's love for us in Christ is so great that he was willing to give up all that glory, to give it all up for a time, and commit to walk a path of suffering So that on the cross those who haven't lived in the way they should which is all of us could be forgiven. So that on the cross the the right punishment that's due for the way we've lived the choices we've often made would be taken away by him. So that on the cross he would remove the barrier between us and God. And that by The shedding of his blood, forgiveness of sins would be one for all who would follow him. And it's doubly striking because Jesus suffered to win a glory that wasn't then even purely for him. He suffered and committed to the road to the cross to achieve a glory that he would give away, that he would give to us, to a glory that we will all share in so fully. You see, so great is Jesus' love that he committed to suffering first in order that those who follow him might share in his glory later. Just think about that for a minute. It would be like the the elite athlete who suffers in all their training, goes through all that physical pain and monastic discipline, only to share their prize winnings with the people watching on in the stands to have them come and join the victory lap around the stadium, to see each spectator also given a gold medal on the podium. It's unfathomable commitment for the sake of others. You won't find this anywhere else but in Jesus. And I major on this because once we get a sense of the glory that Jesus gave up, that he didn't have to give up, but chose to give up for our sake. Once we get a glimpse of the great cost of suffering that Jesus committed to for our sake. Once we get a sense of the glory that he's won for us, for all those who follow him. And our hearts will be moved to want to follow him in turn. Wherever he goes and whatever the cost. As we read in the passage, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You see, to follow this wonderful, awe-inspiring king is also to follow the king who suffers now to have glory later, to win glory later for his people. Jesus serves his people as the suffering king. And if that's the kind of king Jesus is, then his followers must be the same. So our second and final point We must commit to suffer now for glory later. You see, following Jesus as king means choosing his will over mine. Choosing his thoughts over my thoughts. It means seeking to know him more closely so I know what his will and thoughts are. To spending time with him in prayer. Trusting him in all of life. Following him even when it's hard. Continuing our analogy, a bit like the athlete who doesn't understand how a particular period of hard training is going to benefit them, but trusts in the coach's wisdom and guidance. And we, in turn, need to trust and follow, even when it's hard. Even when it means we have to make tough decisions about what we do with our time. What we do with our time on Sundays, even when it means we have to make tough decisions about what we do with our money, even when it means we have to make tough decisions about standing for God in the public square where we feel that conviction and know there'll be a cost to do so, even when it means having what feels like an awkward conversation at the school gates or at work as we talk about our faith. See, the time is coming and in many ways has now come when the people of God will be required increasingly to stand for Jesus in a world that makes it harder to do so. We must commit. But in order to commit, we need to remember, first and foremost, how great our King is. We need to remember that he suffered first for us to achieve a glory that we share in. We need to remember that his great love for us is so great. And as we meditate on that love, we'll be spurred along and be willing to lose our life and deny ourselves. We need to remember that he's the God who can feed 5,000 people from a few bits of bread and fish, in verse 16 that he can provide for all our needs. And we need to remember that he's the God whose glory is as bright as a flash of lightning. Verse 29, where we saw the transfiguration. You see, we need to meditate on these things, on the person and glory of Christ. On the glory of the new creation we're promised in him. So that we'll weigh that up and be willing to commit that will count the cost and see all things in this present life as ultimately a loss compared to that eternal glory that will be revealed. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because when I go out into the world during the other days of the week, I hear a different message. Dying to myself, losing my life. It's totally countercultural, Isn't it about living my best life? You see, we live so much in an individualistic, me first, living my best life, selfie Instagram culture. And Jesus is calling people out of all that to join him and his people in following him and committing to suffer now for eternal glory later. And it's a tough cost committing to this life. But you know, as much as there is a cost to follow Jesus now for that future glory, for those who don't follow Jesus, he says there's an even greater cost. You see, to have glory now in this fading and fallen world, only to then face the great cost of the loss of our very self, the loss of our soul under the judgment of God in eternity is a thought that's truly unbearable. You see, in many ways, a cost we made by each of us either way. We can either commit in this life to suffer now for Jesus in following him and know that that future glory is ours to come Or we can seek the fleeting glory of this world before then facing the great cost of the loss of our soul. Now, please don't hear me wrong this morning. As followers of Jesus, we'll never follow him perfectly until heaven will always be battling with our sinful nature. And, of course, our forgiveness is wonderfully won through Christ's death alone. It's by grace we are saved through faith. But the sign that we've been truly saved and have that guaranteed future glory, the sign that we're going to be sharing in that, will evidence itself through a life that's marked by both a desire and a direction of increasing obedience to Jesus. You see, we're not working our way to heaven, but we are showing that we belong to the king. And it's something Peter himself discovered the cost of, the very person who here confesses Jesus as the Messiah. Well, he himself, according to tradition, was crucified upside down. He committed to that path suffering and then glory and many of jesus followers at the time were executed for committing to him and many have since and still are today in many parts of the world and so we in the relatively comfortable west surely we can bear the commitment god calls us to today in following in jesus footsteps Because we know that as we do so, and are being changed within more and more, that despite the hardship of committing to the Christian life, despite the challenges, we have the glory that's yet to come. And so this morning, Jesus asks that question of verse 20 to each of you. Who do you say I am? Perhaps we're we're not quite there yet, we're still asking questions. And that's okay, that's great. Keep coming along and asking and thinking things through and pursuing. But for those who have recognised Jesus as the Messiah, as God's true anointed King, for those of us who this morning would call ourselves followers of Christ, how does our life bear out that confession? Jesus is the suffering king, so we must commit to suffer now for glory later. I'll finish with some words from the German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who walked that path of suffering himself during the Nazi regime and paid the ultimate price for it. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, for which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his net and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So let's commit to the way of the suffering king now to share in his glory later. Amen.